This morning, we're going to continue with our Out in the Open sermon series. I'm not preaching, but I want to take a quick moment to remind us what Out in the Open is all about. And then we're going to have our gospel moment, and then we're going to be going into the message for this morning. Out in the Open is a journey through the first letter of Peter, where he writes to the church spread abroad in many places, the persecuted church, and he tells them, how do you live out your Christian faith in a hostile world? And I'd really want to encourage you, if you missed last week, to go and listen to the message. But more than that, I really want to encourage you to take 1 Peter and read it through over the next eight weeks. If that's the only thing you read for the next eight weeks, again and again and again, that's good. It's good to slow down and read like that. So do that in your homes. But part of what we want to do in this series is to help you as the church be more equipped and being fluent in explaining the gospel. So last week we handed out the what is the gospel cards. If you don't have one, please come and get one after the service. We'll remind you. If you need five, you can take five. Not a problem. And this is for you to put in your Bible, to put it up somewhere. If you want extra to give to people, you're welcome to do that as well. But over the next weeks, we're going to be learning this definition of the gospel, but not only that, we're going to be pausing every week to understand what each of these statements of the gospel is about. But first, let's read the gospel definition together before we are encouraged in the second statement of this gospel. Let's read, the gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he is the Son of God and offers the free gift of salvation and the forgiveness of sins to everyone who repents and believes in him. The goal is that by the end of the eight weeks, you can say this off by heart, but not just say it, that you can explain it. And this morning, I'm going to ask Francia van der Bank to come and do the second part for us. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be learning from one another how to explain this in our own words. So, Francia, thank you so much for sharing with us this morning. Awesome. Thank you, Pierre. Morning, everyone. Morning. The Byron. John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in John 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. It became flesh. What does that mean? Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became a man. Okay, let that sink in for a moment. The God of this universe became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. It's important to emphasize the point here that Jesus did not appear to be a man. He was fully man, yet he was fully God. This seemingly paradox blows our mind. Okay, it's, this is my kinders that goes like, I don't know if you've seen that. Huh? Um, there should not be any disconnect between the Jesus that walked this earth 2,000 years ago and the Jesus that we pray to and call our God, our Lord. When Mary came to tell Peter about the empty grave, he did not respond by saying, this is an interesting and lightning idea. Okay? Now, he ran to the grave to meet Jesus physically, who have rose literally. Okay? And a little later, we see Peter having breakfast with Jesus, enjoying a good braai with fish and bread on the beach, okay, eating together. It's also during this encounter that Jesus again reveals his divine identity to Peter and tells Peter to follow him. And since that time, Jesus has been revealing himself to people like you and me, okay, so that we can believe in him, so that we can trust in him, and so that we can follow him. Okay, I want to share something about myself that happened 26 years ago with Donnie. 
can you die slide away? Okay, it looks like a piece of paper there, right? This was when I was in grade nine. I think grade nine, or it could have been a grade 10 as well. So I sat in my history class and sharing the gospel with one of my Jewish classmates with the name Adam. And after our conversation, some doubt entered my heart. And I asked the Lord, Lord, how do I know between a Jew and a Christian that you are really the one? So our next class was English first language, and we were doing Chariots of Fire. It's a story based on two Olympic athletes, Abraham, which was a Jew, and Eric Little, who was a Christian. Like in many other classes, I opened up my notepad. This is now after the history class, and we're now at English, and I opened up my notepad, and I started to take notes. So I didn't do my homework. I was just writing down the answers. And one of the answers was 2.3. Okay, so the numbers are cut off now, but it's the, it's the second sentence there. And it reads, he won't allow him to sing in the Christian choir because he is a Jew. Okay, I'm not even sure if that was the right answer, but that's what I've written down at the time. And suddenly something caught my eyes. Okay, now people, I must say, I'm not the type of person that look for signs and for those types of stuff, okay? Um, but something caught my eye, and I saw that the word Christian was written directly above the word Jew. So you can see it there, Christian, Jew, okay, with a little circle around it. And, and I heard the Spirit of the Lord telling me, look further. Now, I was not writing on a clean piece of paper, all right? So the paper had scribbles from the previous day, math class on it. In fact, it had a graph on it, which I didn't notice at first. So looking at the words again, Christian and Jew, it caught my eye that the previous day's graph has a cross directly above the word Christian. For a moment, everything in me froze, and I realized that God had spoken to me. There was a cross. There was a man, a real man, Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God. So my question is, what is your story today? Where has the Lord revealed himself to you? Maybe you missed it at the time, didn't recognize it for what it was. Take some moment to think back over your life. Others may need to take a walk to the cross and look at the evidence for themselves. There is much. All right? And then I want to end off with the words of Jeremiah 29 verse 13 that says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Thank you. Helena, if you could help me. There's never been anyone like you. Never been anyone like you. You are worthy. You are worthy. There's never been anyone like you. Never been anyone like you. You are worthy, and there's never been anyone like you, never been anyone like you. You are worthy, you are worthy, there's never been anyone like you, never been anyone like you. You are worthy. Father, we're thankful that after hearing Francois' testimony,
that you are willing even to reveal yourself to someone in grade nine, to the youth, to the elderly, to those who don't even think they qualify. Yet the blood of Jesus is ready to save and to redeem us even unto you. Thank you, Lord, for the powerful experience of worship and being in your presence this morning where we have been, Father, covered and endured by your, your holiness. Thank you, Lord, that you are in the business of saving people from the pits of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of your marvelous light. So, Father, as we look at your word this morning, we pray that our hearts may be receptive, that our hearts may be fertile ground, that your word would go and multiply like seed that has been sown into fertile ground. We pray all these things in your name, O oh Lord, that is worthy of all glory and of all honor. Amen and amen. Good morning, family. How are you guys doing? My name is Matt, for those who don't know me, with one T. And it is my privilege and honor this morning to share the word of God. Does my voice sound okay? Great. We're continuing with our sermon series out in the open. We're going through the book of First Peter, and I want to start by posing a question to all of us. And the question is simply this. What is the most valuable thing that you have? Right, if you're sitting with your husband or your wife or your friend, ask, ask the person the question. What is the most valuable thing that you have? I'll give you guys a minute. What is the most valuable thing that you have? Husbands, this is a good opportunity to revive your marriage and say you are the most valuable thing I have in my life, honey. What is the most valuable thing that you have? If you're sitting by yourself, just think on it. What is the most valuable, most precious thing that you have? Okay. For some of us, your response could have been, it's probably my car, right? It's a Range Rover autobiography, 22 edition, black on the exterior, cream leather interior, specific, cost 2.2 million rand. That's the most valuable thing I have. Some of you could have said, it's definitely the house. We finally bought that house we were dreaming of. We've done a lot of work on it. We now have the pool, double story, Spanish farm. Definitely. No Spanish farm people in here? Shame, this church is struggling. All right. <laughs> we need to pray for some money in this church. <laughs> All right. So someone could have said that. Some of you who are more contemplative could have said, do you know what? Actually, my health is the most valuable thing. After these last two years, I realized I could have a house, I could have a car, but if I don't have good health, all of that is not. Some of you could have said, well, actually my family is the most valuable thing to me. What is a house? What is a car? What is being healthy if you have no one to celebrate all these things with? Some of you would have said, hey, we just spoke about Somalia. Our freedom is the most invaluable thing for us. The fact that we can go in and come out and pray and worship without persecution, that is the most valuable thing. My intent this morning is not to give a right or wrong answer to any of these things. My intent is not to try and order which one should come first or go last. My intention today is to pose a thought to you all that perhaps, even though all these things we've spoken about are really good, and they are great, and they are gifts from God. But perhaps the most valuable thing that we have is our salvation. The fact that you and I believe that God came down on earth, became a man. He lived the life that we should live, but we are struggling too. He made the decision to go and die on a cross and take the pain and the embarrassment that we should have taken. 
and he died and went to the grave. But God was so powerful and so good that he raised him up after three days. And that has given us living hope that he is the son of God. And that through our salvation, that as we believe in him, and as we hold on to him, we have the guarantee that even though we are wasting away and fading away in this life, and the day will come when we too shall be buried, we know that one day we shall be resurrected and united with the Father for eternity. And that is the gospel. And so Peter is writing this letter to people who had come, many of them, to Jerusalem during Pentecost. And many of them had heard the gospel for the first time. And many of them had experienced the power of the Holy Spirit for the first time. Many of them had spoken in tongues for the first time. And they left as pilgrims going back to their homes, to places in what is called uh, Asia Minor or different provinces of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And they'd gone back to their communities professing this new faith. And some of their families denied them and said, what is this that you're talking about? Some of them, their businesses, people stopped coming to buy at the businesses. Some of them were thrown out of their communities. And we know from Bible history that about five years after this letter was written, Christians actually started facing real persecution and death because of the gospel. And Peter writes this letter to them. And he says, do you know what? If in all these things, though they're fading away, there is something that you have within you that is more valuable than everything, and that is your salvation. And so this morning, I want to just focus on three things, if we can open our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 8 to 13. I'll be reading from the NIV. And then it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. We're talking about Jesus here. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not saving themselves, but you. When they spoke of things that have now been told by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Verse 13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he called you, he who called you is holy, so be ye holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I I'm holy. You can imagine these, these early Christians going through the most. And this letter has been sent to them. They're living through very difficult times, very uncomfortable circumstances. And in this portion of scripture, there is a pointing to something that is amazing. You know, you and I, may never actually see a blind person receive their sight. Some of you might have. You and I may never see an actual lame person get up and walk. You and I may never actually see someone who's been dead raised to life. But you know the biggest miracle that you and I have is the fact that we believe in Jesus. The fact that you and I love Jesus. You and I are unapologetically, totally, fully in love with Jesus. It just doesn't make sense. And that is the biggest miracle that you'll ever see. To make this more practical, Aunt Philippa, imagine if Sadie came home this week 
And she said, Mom, Dad, I was at Starbucks. I met a guy. He bought me an Americano. Really great. I want to get married to him. <laughs> a couple of things will go through your mind, right? Like, how many times did you meet this guy? Like, once. But Dad, he's like tall like you. And he's got amazing hair like my brother, all right? Like, okay, okay, how many conversations have you had with this guy? It's just over coffee. I'm like, is that all you know about him? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, dad, don't you believe in love at first sight? Yeah. You told me when you saw mom like it was love at first sight. Same thing has happened to me, right? But as a parent, you're like, there's no way you can tell me you love someone you have seen only once, Right? It's, it's almost illogical. It's like, see the guy a few more times, get to know him, go and spend time with his family, find out how he grew up, you know, get to know his value system, you know, go on a few dates and so forth, and then make a decision that, Dad, I know I love this guy. Peter writes to these people and he says in verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't even see him now, because they are going through real challenges, real challenges, and they are praying and they're saying, God, we've, we've just believed on you, Jesus. We trust in your name. We've just been baptized by the Holy Spirit. But right now, we are going through the most difficult period of our lives. We're losing our friends. We're losing our businesses. We're losing our health. Things are crumbling down. But yet, at that same time, they're saying, Jesus, we love you. Through the thick and the thin, we've made a decision in our hearts that we love you. We are filled with an inexpressible joy. The Bible says here, an inexpressible and glorious joy. Difficult to explain to people. That faith and salvation can help you go through the toughest of times. Because you know that your Redeemer lives. Because you know that all these things that we're going through, they are temporary, but there is an eternal home for all of us. And that the most important thing is right at the end of that sentence, the salvation of our souls. In Acts chapter 2 and 3, we, we hear the story of uh, Peter and how he stood up and he, he does this big sermon and all these people give their lives to the Lord and the Christians are fired up. And they, they're going everywhere. They're telling people about Jesus. And they're being persecuted. And the, the, the teachers of the law and the Sanhedrin, they're very jealous of these guys because all of a sudden, all the crowds that used to come to the temple are now following these uneducated Galileans. And they're going to them and they're preaching to them and people are being healed. In Acts chapter 3, it says that people were actually taking the sick and putting them in the road so that when Peter and the rest of the disciples, as they walked by, if their shadows just went onto people, the people would be healed. And the teachers of the law are so jealous, it says they, they start to imprison the disciples and they, they start to beat them up. And they bring them in and they say, hey, your sermons are, they're continuously saying that we are the ones who are to blame for crucifying this Jesus. We need you to stop preaching and talking about this Jesus. The disciples were so fired up that they said, look, you can lock us up. You can beat us up. But we will follow the instruction of the Lord. In Acts chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. And the instruction was, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people about this new life. The angel didn't come and say, do you know what? You guys have been arrested. I'm going to open up the jail. Now run for the hills. It's like, no, 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 no. Get out of jail. Go into the temple courts and continue to proclaim this gospel. I can imagine if I was uh, one of those disciples, I'd be like, hey, it's getting a bit warm in here, eh? Uh, I need to get out of town, right? But the instruction was, it's not going to get any easier. It's not going to get any lighter. It's not going to get any safer. 
Go into the temple courts and proclaim this gospel. And what is this gospel? That God himself became a man, fully God, fully man, took on our flesh, came here on earth. He lived a life, a perfect example of the life that you and I should live, but that we can never. And then he went to the cross. He died a gruesome death on the cross. And he died the death that you and I, all of us deserved. He went to the grave, died like a man. But because of the power of God was raised on the third day. Why did he rise? So that if we believe in him, if we trust in his name, if we believe in our hearts, we confess with our tongues that he indeed is Lord, we will inherit eternal life. That was the instruction. Go back, and proclaim. So they went, they proclaimed it. The teachers of the law were unhappy. So they round them up again. Verse 41, verse 40 and 41. They called the apostles in and they had them flogged. Flogged, beaten with whips, right? Beaten with whips. These days we put our kids in naughty corners, right? That's the worst, like, the worst thing you can do to a child is put them in a naughty corner, right? Back then people were flogged, flogged. Then they ordered them again. Do not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. The Bible says in verse 41, the apostles, they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Think about it. They've just been beaten. They left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of the suffering uh, disgrace for his name. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we do not lose heart, friends, though outwardly we may be wasting away. We may be losing things. He says, inwardly we are being renewed Day by day. For our light and momentary trouble, all the things that we face in this life, all the things that pull us down, all the troubles that these, these Christians were facing in Turkey, it says all those things are actually light and momentary. They are achieving us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And I don't want to undervalue what you may be going through today. Sickness is real. And sometimes painful. The loss of friends and family is real. And definitely painful. Not being able to provide for your family and to pay the next bill and to, to, to make heaven income and revenue. All those things are real and definitely challenging. But in the scope of eternity, they are light and momentary troubles. Because we have the salvation of our souls. So you say, so we fix our eyes on what is seen, but we do not fix our eyes on what is seen because what is seen is only temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So friends, this morning, the salvation of our souls is paramount. It is key. It is important. And it will help us go through the seasons of life. Verse 12 says, it was revealed to the prophets of old that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that have been now told to you by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. So Peter here is writing to them and said, this salvation that we're talking about this morning, for you it might just be like, you know what, I'm saved. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, yeah I believed in Jesus. Do you know that this salvation, that there were people long, long time ago who God revealed to them that this salvation was coming and they searched for it intently, trying to understand what does this mean? Prophets would write and they'd, the, 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 the forefathers would put into pen and paper, but they did not fully understand what it actually meant that one day, the Jews, the Gentiles, the tall, the weak, the fat, the black, the light, the angry, the hungry, those with hair, those with bold, would all come together and believe in Jesus. 
and would be saved. I remember in Isaiah 53, the, the prophet writes and he says, Who has believed our message? Unto whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before them like a root and like a tender shoot and out of dry ground. He had no formliness or beauty that we should desire him. He was a man of sorrows, despised by most. And he says, but for our transgressions, he was pierced. For our iniquities, he was brought down. Like the prophets are speaking, they, they have no idea who this, this person who is coming is. But we have that opportunity today in hindsight to know that God came down as a man. He suffered these things. Psalms 22, David actually says, you know, you know why, oh Lord, have you departed from me? You know, he's writing about that moment of the cross where the nations are raging and the Savior is by himself on the cross dying for our sins. Friends, there is a proclamation of hope that needs to be done for people who are lost by you and me. And today maybe you might be saying, Matt, it's fair and fine. I'm saved and I believe that I'm going to heaven. But this call to share the gospel, this is a bit difficult for me, right? And Matt, what you don't know about me is I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. And I've been to places I shouldn't have been. I've, I've done things I'm not so proud to talk about. In fact, my history is such that if people in the church actually knew what my former life was, I don't think anyone would actually come close to me. And so when I look at myself, I, I'm not qualified to be that person who talks about the saving grace of God. The person who writes this book, Peter, unfortunately, really ministers to me because I can almost see a parallel with his life with most of us. If Peter could preach the gospel, none of us have an excuse. When I was studying for this message, I found out a few things. One of the things I found out is that Peter is actually the disciple that the Bible speaks about the most. He's also the disciple in the Bible that Jesus has the most direct conversations with. And because of that, Peter is the disciple who unfortunately, whose mistakes are all recorded. <laughs> and I'm not saying the other disciples didn't make mistakes, but all his mistakes are recorded. You remember Peter is the one who in the boat when Jesus was walking on water, he was the first one to be like, me, 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 me. I want to come out and walk on water. And he starts walking on water, right? And the Bible says the wind and the waves came. I can imagine the other disciples are like, go Peter, go Peter, go, go Peter, go Peter, go, go Peter, go Peter, go. But Peter starts to sink and sink until Jesus saves him. This same Peter is the same Peter, very high. Jesus, you are the son of God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, do you know what? Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you by my Father in heaven. Great Peter. Go Peter, go Peter, go. Go Peter, go Peter, go. Jesus says, I am going to die. And I'll be raised on the third day. Peter, no, 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 no. Jesus, you're not going to die. And Jesus says, get thou behind me, Satan. This same Peter, Jesus is arrested. It's the same guy who takes a sword. He cuts off the ear of, of a soldier. And Jesus puts it back. This same Peter is the same Peter who says, Jesus, I am your bra, okay? Me and you, me, I'm your bra. All these other answers here, they're not really your bra. And you know what? If things go down, me, I'm your bra. Me, I'm here. Me, I'm here, say. I don't care what they're trying to do. I'm going to make sure if things get hard, my bra, me, I'm here. We're going to go down together, you know? Because we are from Mitchell's Plain. We don't play. We're always there. <laughs> Did I get that right? Am I trying? Sort of. Okay. <laughs> so, and then a little girl comes and says, hey, that accent there, you must have been with Jesus. That accent from my Nova. And he's like, she's like, he's like, no, 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 no. I don't know this Jesus. Three times 
he denies Jesus. And do you know what? Straight after that, he goes back to fishing. So he's someone who's made so many mistakes. He's someone who's loved Jesus, made mistakes, won here, lost here, and so forth. But do you know what? At the day of Pentecost, after all the things that he messed up with, he stood up in front of those 3,000 and he said, do you know what? We're not drunk when you see us speaking in tongues. This is what the prophet Joel spoke about, Joel chapter 2, that in those last days, the spirit of the Lord will pour out on all flesh. Our young men, they will see visions and dream dreams. And he starts to preach to them. And the people are cut to the heart and 3,000 people repent. And so if Peter could preach after all that he did, so can you. One of the most difficult scriptures for me when I gave my life to the Lord really challenged me was the next portion that I'm going to look at now. Okay, I'm okay with my salvation. I'm okay with being saved. Okay, I'm okay with the challenge of going out to to share the gospel. But verse 14 When it asks me to be holy, that is challenging. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And my struggle was this growing up. I said, God, I I know you, and now that I've accepted you as my Lord and my Savior, and I'm trying my best. But this request for me to be holy, this request for me to, to be perfect, and this is the way I understood it, this request for me to be pure and be unblemished, this is something I cannot do. I know my, my weaknesses. I know my, my secret thoughts. I know my bad attitudes. I know the people I'm not willing to forgive. I know the things where I look at and I feel a bit of jealousy and envy. I know the things that I'm, I'm drawn to and I'm struggling with on a day-to-day basis. So Lord, this request for me to be holy, just as you are holy, is unattainable. And so, with that position of weakness and condemnation, it ripples down back to everything. If I cannot see myself as someone who can attain to God's holiness, what justification do I have to share the gospel? Now, if I'm not sharing the gospel and I'm not confident enough to share the gospel, I roll it back again. Am I actually saved? Am I actually good enough to inherit eternal life? Am I just part of a social club that meets on Sundays in a nice building, has great praise and worship, have some good coffee afterwards? But in my heart of hearts, I do not know whether this salvation is real. I do not know if this salvation is so real in me that I am able to share it with other people because I am totally convinced that the salvation of my soul is unto eternity. And as I was preparing for this message, I caught the encouragement from Scripture that only God is truly holy, that only He is perfectly holy, perfectly pure, The Bible says that he is the father of lights and within him there's no shadow of doubts. He's perfectly, perfectly holy. Revelations tells us that the 24 oldest, they go around his throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the lamb. The call here for us is not to be God. Someone say amen. The call here for us is to be separated. The word holy that is used in this portion of scripture actually means to be separated. It means when you look at a group of people and 
a group of people that is a crowd like this one, if you are a saved person, there must be something within you that separates you from everyone else. And last week, Pierre spoke about how sometimes it's difficult to tell who the Christians are in a crowd. Sometimes it's difficult to tell who the person of faith is in the room. Sometimes it is difficult to say who is the person you who actually believes that they are going to be saved amongst these people. Last week, my wife and I, we went to, um, straight after church, we went to, to see someone who was not feeling well. And um, we went to see him and we, we got into the room and um, we, we spoke to him for a couple of minutes. After we spoke to him, we, we supported him however we, we had gone to support him and so forth. As we were about to leave, we said, let us pray. No idea whether this person is a Christian or not. No idea whether he's a believer or not. But there must be something within us that proclaims salvation. Even in difficult circumstances. There was a moment of hesitation in my heart before we prayed. And I thought to myself, should we, should we ask him if he's okay for us to pray for him? You know? Should we, should we like be, be, be courteous and say, um, is it okay if we pray for you before we go? Is it okay if we, you know, we, we are Christians, we believe in God and we believe that he'll heal, heal you. So is it, do you mind if we, if we pray for you? No. We're just like, dude, we're going to pray for you before we go. We could have met all these other needs, but all these other needs are inconsequential if we leave this place without praying for you. There must be something amongst us that separates that we have salvation, that we have eternity in our hearts. Now, I have three bottles of Coke here. By the way, Coke is bad. <laughs> Our daughter, Amira, she, she would drink Coke at every opportunity that she's given if we're not there, because she knows we don't drink Coke at home. The world is like these three bottles of Coke. People who are walking around full of acid and sugar, dark, living in the kingdom of darkness, We might just get sued by Coca-Cola. <laughs> Dali, can you can you can Dali edit this part out? <laughs> All right. Oh, the guy in Spanish farm can help us with the legal fees. All right. Good. But this is exactly what the world is. And as the world is like these three bottles of Coke, amongst them are Christians. And somewhere here. Someone needs to shed some light. Somewhere here, someone needs to come and say, hey, there's too much acid in here. There's too much sugar in here. There's too much darkness in here. There's too much pain in here. There is a solution for this problem. There needs to be someone. Cometh Fanta. <laughs> Fanta needs to come out. Fanta needs to come out. And say, do you know what? I'm living my life in the open. I am saved. I'm fully convinced that I have eternal life. Because there is God who came down as a man, gave me an example of how I should live. And I'm trying my best right now to live that life. Every day, I'm repenting and saying, oh God, I did it again. I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. Every day, I'm getting on my knees and I'm praying and I'm saying, Lord, forgive me. I did that thing again. But I realize 
that there is saving grace in the blood of Jesus, which has taken me from the kingdom of darkness, it says in Colossians, and brought me to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son. And when we live our life in the open and proclaim this gospel, actually in Matthew it actually talks and says, let your light shine so that the world may see it. It says, do you know what? If you take a light, you don't put it under the table like this Fanta was. You put it on top of the hill. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. In other words, if you live an open life, these cokes will start to look at this Fanta and say, there is something different about Fanta. There is something different about Fanta. And the goal is, Mr. Coke here will give his life to the Lord. And another Fanta will come. One Coke a day, one Fanta a day. The challenge this morning, saints, is are we living our lives in a manner that is filling the kingdom of God? Or are we being turned from Fanta's into Coke's? I want to close by reading a story. Kathy, you can come up. This is a parable that uh, Jesus gave in Luke chapter 16. From verse 19 it says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple, fine linen, and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, who was covered in sores. He was longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So Lazarus was going through the most. He's not only poor, he's not only alone, he's got sores all over his body. He's so sick that even dogs are coming to, to lick the sores on his body. Verse 22 says, The time came when the beggar died. He died. There's no, there's, no, there's no miracle here for him. His business was not resuscitated. He didn't make friends suddenly. He didn't win the lotto. By the way, don't buy lotto tickets, Christians. Nothing like that happened. He died. And he was buried. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. As is with life, the rich man also died and was buried. So the guy who had a lovely life, he died. The guy who went through the most, he also died. Now, the rich man was in Hades where there was torment. The Bible says he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Please send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water so he can cool my tongue. Because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, my son, remember that in your lifetime you received so many good things whilst Lazarus received so many bad things. But now he is comforted here. Our salvation is going to take us to a place of comfort. And besides all this, between us, there is a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here and to there cannot. Nor can anyone cross over from there to here. So rich man now, he begs, I beg you, Father, please send Lazarus to my family. He says, look, I, I am a, I'm screwed for eternity. But I have five brothers. Please send Lazarus down to earth to go and warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. 
Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. This is a parable which is indicative of the eternal destiny of life. One day Jesus indeed is going to come back and as we learn from scripture all these things that we worry about these light and momentary troubles these great and superficial achievements these things that we hold on to whether they're good or they're bad whether they're pleasurable or they give us grief all these things are going to disappear and what's going to happen is those that are saved however tough their lives were here on earth or however good they were however in the middle they were they are going to receive eternity with the father and those who have not received Jesus Christ as the Lord and their savior who have not heeded to the call to live their lives trying to be like Jesus trying to bring people into the kingdom believing in his name who have thrown away the free gift of salvation the Bible says they will be eternally separated from God the picture that we have here from the rich man is he sees how terrible eternal separation from God is hell he says I have five brothers please please go and warn them so that they do not end up here when we accept the truth of the kingdom of God and we accept the free gift of salvation the call for us in Matthew chapter 29 is for us to go therefore into the world and preach this good news to our families, to our colleagues, to our friends, to our neighbors. We have to tell them that all these things that we are absorbed with today, whether good or bad, all these things are light and the momentary in the greater scheme of eternity. And governments will come, governments will fall. Droughts will come, droughts will end. People will be sick people will be healed. Children will be born. People will die. But after all these things, there shall be eternity. And we want to go into eternity with as many people as we can. We want to take as many of our friends and as many of our family and as many of our colleagues into eternity, into relationship, eternal relationship and covering with God in heaven. I don't know where you are today from these three things. You might be already in the position where you're saying, let's start off with point number one. I'm a coke. I'm a coke. I have a lot of acid in me. I have a lot of poison in me. I just, I'm just carrying around a whole lot of stuff that needs to be removed today. And I need someone to pray with me. I need to accept the free gift of salvation today. You maybe, maybe it's point number two. You might say, do you know what? I made that decision and I'm, I'm, I'm guaranteed of eternity with Christ. But do you know what? I, uh, this, this preaching the gospel thing, you know, I'm, I'm nervous and, you know, I just don't know how to start and, you know, I don't know how to live my, my life out in the open. Uh, I, I don't know how to be a good example. And I just need someone to pray for, for that same boldness that Peter had, that even after all his mistakes, he was able to stand up on the day of Pentecost and, and preach a sermon that 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord that day. I need, I need that prayer for me to be, to be bold. You might be like, do you know what? I, I might be the third person where I'm trying, guys. I'm, I'm really, really, really trying. But this requirement to, to live a pure life, this requirement 
as it says in verse 16 there, to, to deny myself of these pleasures and these things that I'm so easily drawn to. I'm struggling. I'm really struggling. I really want to, guys. I, I really want to be saved and I, I really want to be part of the family of believers and I, I really want to, to minister to other people to, to come to the kingdom, but I myself am actually struggling. I can't be a witness because I'm struggling. I'm, I'm struggling to walk this walk and I need someone just to pray for me. I want to tell you that God is good. And that he is here this morning to redeem us. All of us. His blood washes away all our sins. Even though they are red as scarlet, we become white as crimson. And it is not out of our effort. It is not out of us ticking boxes. It is not out of us trying that we become worthy to be called the children of God. So this morning, I want us to pray. If we could all stand. It is our intention to plunder the gates of hell. Plunder. Go and steal people from hell. We are going in there to hijack that car that is headed to hell with people who are bound over. And we're redeeming them and bringing them back to relationship with Christ. It is our intention to, to see people saved. It is our intention to, to see people headed to be united with God. If you fall in group number one and you're saying, Matt, I want to be saved. I'm not saved. Please put your hand up. If you say, I'm not saved, we've got people who are standing around you want them to pray for you. If you're group number two and you're saying, do you know what? Um, I'm, I'm also struggling uh, with my confidence and sharing the gospel. Please put your hand up also. People will come and pray with you. If you're number three and you say, look, um, I've got to be honest. I won't tell you all the things that I'm struggling with, but guys, I am trying to walk this walk, but this call to holiness and purity and, and, and trying to be right this righteousness, it's, it's a struggle. Um, and I need someone just, just to pray with me. Please put your hand up. Please put your hand up. Those that are close, those that are close, let us pray. Let us pray together. Let us pray together. Please congregate around the guys who have their hands up. Let us pray.
Let us lift our hands to heaven. So Father, we are thankful again to this morning that this gospel is indeed the good news that you oh God became a man in Jesus Christ that you lived the life that we should have lived and that you died the death that you should have died in our place we should have died in our place and 3 days later Jesus you rose from the dead proving indeed that you are the son of God and that you have offered everyone in this place the free gift of salvation the forgiveness of our sins and everyone in this place who has repented who has believed in you has received the right to be called the children of God and has indeed inherited eternal life through faith in your son amen and amen